I want to start out by just saying observation. We live in a pretty scientific world, um, very scientific-minded, right? Some of you know I studied computer engineering, so I'm not exactly like a scientist in the strict sense. I don't know if you've ever seen the Big Bang Theory, but they always make fun of engineering in the Big Bang Theory because it's not real science. But, uh, but there is like a scientific mindset in, uh, in the world, and science has been applied to basically every aspect of the world, uh, including ourselves, which is really kind of strange. We know, of course, psychology is that science uh, of the application application of science to the human person. Of course, that's not exactly what science originally means. Science just kind of meant knowledge. We won't go down that rabbit hole, but basically psychology is trying to systematize how we act and how we think. And of course, there's been some good things that have come out of psychology, um, but there's also a mindset that, there's a mindset within this kind of scientism that there is a way to solve every problem. Uh, and so like that there's a way to solve us, right? As Catholics, right, we would say that we are a mystery. Uh, St. Augustine would even say, uh, one of my favorite lines from St. Augustine, I am a great mystery to myself. Manu mysterium mihi. So there is this tendency to solve the problem with psychology. There was a psychologist who once said, this is a story from Monsignor Lane. I don't know if you've heard it, but he said uh, there was a psychologist that Monsignor Lane knew. And he said, uh, and this psychologist said, the only difference between a car mechanic and me is that a car mechanic works on cars and I work on people, which is like obviously a really ghastly kind of way of thinking about the human person. But, uh, but with that mindset, we can actually show ourselves what psychology actually really is, right? So it is about controlling behavior by bringing behavior change, even we would say maybe lifestyle change, processes and thoughts and stuff like that. But, but behavior and even thoughts don't describe the whole of what we are, the completeness. Within the human per person, of course, is this behavioral element uh, and this is maybe what we could loosely, analogically call the body. But then there is that spiritual element, of course. There is the soul. And Jesus came to heal both, and to heal both of those together. And so I'm going to read from uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, at the very beginning. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room for them, not even about the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, 
child, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned like this within themselves, said to them, Why do you question like this in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, Rise, take up your pallet, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And he rose and immediately took up the pallet and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So Jesus wishes to heal his son lying on a mat in a crowded room. And heal him how? Heal him in both body and soul. And it's interesting, of course, that both of those things are split up, the soul being maybe the primary, and so it comes first. But it's also, of course, because Jesus wanted to prove to them that he has the authority to forgive sins. Body and soul together, behavior and heart together, they're tied up inextricably within ourselves. They can't be separated. And so returning to psychology, we know that it's outside the power of psychology to have a complete and integral transformation to ourselves. The goal of psychology, of course, behavioral change, thought processes, but true religion, a true relationship with Jesus Christ brings spiritual transformation. And we call this by many names, right? You've heard these names. Metanoia is one Greek word, change of mind, literally change of heart, or conversion, maybe the most popular term. And Jesus, of course, didn't come to make you pious old ladies who pray the rosary, you know? He came to change your heart. He is not here. He did not come simply to heal. He came to bring life. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. He didn't simply come to take your sins away, which maybe is a radical thing to say. He didn't come just to have you act in a different way. But he came actually to convert your heart so that you love the things that he loves and that you hate the things that he hates. That's actually a traditional, um, there's a traditional saying, a definition for friendship, which is essentially that, idem vele, idem nole, which means loving what the other loves and hating what the other hates. This, of course, is only possible through relationship with him. We need this relationship to be complete, to reach our fulfillment. And it is an intimate love relationship. Uh, It's been described, it was described by St. Teresa of Avila as the spiritual marriage, the the highest of the the mansions um, of the interior castle. Not 100% comfortable as a guy with that language, 
Um, so, so maybe I would prefer the language of St. John of the Cross, which is the transforming union. This is the goal of our lives. And all of this, though, leads to the question that is brought up in the gospel that I, that I read. What does the Son of Man have authority on earth to do? Maybe the last few lines of Matthew's gospel sum it up. All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We know that he's Jesus. He has the authority to do everything. Nothing holds him back. St. Paul in, uh, in Romans, I think, chapter 8. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? To summarize, obviously there's a long list. It is nothing. Nothing that is except ourselves. It's difficult for us to desire completely the love of Christ. Uh, And I think of the agony which is present in St. Augustine's story from the Confessions, right? We have the, the difficulty that he goes through conversion. You really need to read this book. Incredible. Really good. Um, but, when, but when the Lord is working on your heart, very difficult, especially prayer, when, when that battle is really coming to a head, you could say. So we have, we can, we can quote from uh, Book 8, Confessions. Okay, we have St. Augustine's famous prayer, right? Grant me chastity and continence but not yet. But just a short time later, he prays for that conversion fervently. He says over and over, let it be now. Let it be now. But even on that same page, we see the temptations, which he describes in this way, that they're whispering in his ear, are you sending us away? From this moment on, We will not be with you. Jesus only chooses to save save us with our own help. St. Augustine said, in a different place, the God who created you without you will not save you without you. And so we can take the example from the gospel that was read. After the man is healed, Jesus gives the man three commands. Rise, take up your pallet, and walk. He gives him three small tasks. And so for you and for me, small tasks are the key to success for growth in the spiritual life. And, uh, and with the spiritual life, I want to go through, of course, many things, um, many Maybe not small things, but I want to show you first just a resource, which is a very good resource, but it is a large resource. It is this. (laughs) Two volumes of the three ages of the interior life. Father Reginald Garrigou Lagrange, a Dominican. Okay, (laughs) so, right? A little much, a little much. You could try to read Tanqueray, The Spiritual Life. It's also about that thick. So, um, 
I'm not exactly recommending this to you, but uh, as like a starter course or something like that, but just to know that there is something like this that exists, right? That there is something here. Father Reginald Gerlagou-Lagrange, you probably don't know who he is. He was, um, he was a professor in Rome under whom John Paul II studied and wrote one of his dissertations, the one on John of the Cross and faith. Uh, and he wrote this, we would say, summary of the spiritual life. Uh, so to talk about the first of the small things, prayer, right? You've already heard it talk about prayer, but I've heard Monsignor Lane talk about prayer. He's not exactly practical, maybe. Was he very practical? <laughs> so I've... I went to a parish once. They asked him to give a talk on, um, on Ignatian meditation, and they wanted him to teach them how to do like Ignatian-style meditation. He did not do that at all. <laughs> he just gave like a spirit, the spiritual underpinnings and everything like that, and just like everything but what they wanted to hear, which was really, which was really funny. <laughs> so certainly I can't improve on what Monsignor Lane has said, uh, about prayer because he is incredible and someone from whom I've learned a great deal. But I, uh, I certainly can't say nothing about it and I can maybe be a little bit more practical <laughs> with you about it. Um, but the first thing, of course, you know is that prayer is absolutely necessary. Uh, there is just no way to grow without it. When I take a look at my own life, uh, basically, all of the growth that has happened in my life for the past almost 11 years, I can credit that to prayer. And basically, specifically to daily Mass and to daily Eucharistic adoration has radically changed my heart. I think of something, uh, I think of a story that Archbishop Schnur would always tell us as seminarians, um, or he would describe these situations. Of course, he's an archbishop of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, and so he has to deal with a lot of difficult situations. And one of those is priests leaving the priesthood. And so these priests come to him, and they'll say... Um, you know, all sorts of things. This is why I wanted to leave. And the, real, and the first question that Archbishop asks is, when did you stop praying? And not only is prayer necessary, I would go even a step further. And I would say with St. Teresa of Avila that there's no way to grow without daily mental prayer. Mental prayer, essentially we would describe it as silent prayer. And it essentially takes two forms, right? One is called meditation. One is called contemplation. So meditation is called active mental prayer, whereas contemplation is called passive mental prayer. So contemplation we would describe not as a way of praying, but as a gift. So something something that God gives. So we would say most of our mental prayer takes the first form, which is to say meditation. Uh, generally, the use of some kind of aid to 
um, to bring us into that place, we would say, go to the inner room, closing the door, something to lead us through the door and the closing of it. The goal, the goal of mental prayer, in the words of St. John of the Cross, is to gain some knowledge and love of God. So we would maybe combine those two things together, loving knowledge of God. We know we can't love what we don't know. And so meditation is that intimate contact with God, bringing us the knowledge and the love. And so how do you learn? How do you learn how to pray mental prayer? Well, I'm maybe not going to be as helpful as you would expect, but I would just say to do it. <laughs> I mean, you have to, you have to do it and able to, to be able to learn it. But there are some helps. I recommend certain things. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we, have, we have this book mm, right here, Time for God, Jacques Philippe. Okay, this book is incredible. And, uh, and actually something that I want Tim to uh, do, think about during this time, is how I can raffle this book off to this group here present. Okay? Oh. So um, I'm sorry, those who are listening virtually uh, probably cannot participate in that. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> um, so Time for God, Jacques Philippe. Very good. Very good book. Took me like three months to work through this book. You see, like, how thin it is. But, um, but it essentially teaches you a lot about the ways of mental prayer. Also, I can recommend this book, mm. Eugene Boylan. So, Difficulties in Mental Prayer teaches you how to do mental prayer. I don't know what else to say. He is a, um, a Cistercian, I think, um, Irish. Irish guy. Okay, so, so I recommend those two books. Uh, also, another book, which I will also be raffling off today. <laughs> this book, The Soul of the Apostolate. One of my friends told me that this book radically changed their prayer life. And I was like, yeah, whatever, you know? Yeah. And he's a very trustworthy individual, right? Really great guy. Went to West Point. Um, really good guy, okay, um, very, very trustworthy. I didn't trust him, and then I read the book, <laughs> and this book radically changed my prayer life. I don't know, I just, like, it was, it was those are literally the best words to, the, the best words to describe it, um, but basically, the soul of the apostolate um, describes, describes the interior life, um, the interior life in, in a more holistic way. Not, exact, not just focusing on mental prayer. Okay. All right. So what's important? What's important in mental prayer? It's especially important to be totally and completely honest with God, right? It's just like your whole heart is just broken open. There's nothing, there's nothing that's, that's holding you back, right? And, and maybe the main part of mental prayer is trying to bring down those barriers. It's really difficult for us to, to open up ourselves uh, completely. Maybe sometimes we're just too busy to descend into the profound depths. Or maybe we're just really comfortable 
with the surface level. But we need to put out into the deep. We, need, we know that the deep is where our inner selves are, and that the deep is where our wounds are hidden. But the deep is where God lives, right? The deep is that inner room, and so we need to enter into there. We need to close the door, shutting everything else out and just being with the God who is indwelling. Um, the inner room is where God lives in your soul. And uh, that's not just a saying to embroider on pillows, right? There's, <laughs> that's, I, I mean, I don't have, to, I don't have time in this, in this place to go into the incredible and awesome uh, belief that we have as Catholics, that God dwells in your soul when you are baptized. When you are baptized, God is there. He makes his home in your heart. So I have to just mention it and move on. <clears throat> okay, next. Next, we can talk after prayer about freeing ourselves from attachment. So this is something, obviously, I've been bringing up a lot, the Carmelite tradition, so you already know that I'm a big fan of the Carmelite tradition. Generally, we would say freedom from attachment. They would say indifference. Indifference, not exactly in like the way that we think about it normally, but indifference from both material things and, in a sense, spiritual things. So this is what is described. You've probably heard the words, the dark night of the senses and the dark night of the soul. So the dark night of the senses is meant to free us from our attachment to material things, the dark night of the soul to free us from attachment to spiritual things, consolation, and other things like that. Quoting St. John of the Cross, the soul only has one will, and if it occupies itself or encumbers itself with anything, it will not remain free, solitary, and pure, as is required for divine transformation. This is the same principle that Jesus states in the gospel. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And so, I mean, if we're speaking practically, how do we do this? How do we accomplish this? It is by identifying our attachments. And how do we identify our attachments? Well, if you give something up, then you will really find out how strong your attachment is to it. Uh, you might think you're holy right now. Try doing Exodus 90, you know? Like, it frees you, right? It, like, teaches you. It doesn't, it can't, it doesn't necessarily free you, but you will really find out how unholy you are by doing Exodus 90. At least I did. Uh, but, uh, but by doing that, by attempting to identify your attachments by, um, by giving up, we would call this fasting, right, abstinence, by doing this, we can find out the true power that comes with the penitential seasons. There are so many people who are like phenomenal Catholics during Lent, you know, and then like all the other times, they're just 
you know, like everybody else. We're purified, right, of our attachments when we fast and when we abstain. But again, going back to psychology, it's not just about behavior. It's not just about, like, thought process. It's about the heart. Only when the heart is changed, then does behavior really change. It's the heart that holds all of the motivation, everything that drives us, everything that motivates us. Only when the heart is changed, then can sin be rooted out of our lives. Can our attachments, can we be really freed from our attachments? And two, we can think of that uh, traditional thing that goes along with, uh, with Lent. There is right prayer we've already talked about, fasting we've talked about, almsgiving. Almsgiving, of course, is not exactly charity, right? We normally think of it as charity, but it's more like justice. It's more like giving people what they're actually owed. You should read St. John Chrysostom on that topic. He basically accuses people of stealing if they do not give to others, which, of course, this teaches us of our attachments, specifically of our attachment to mammon. But in all this, of course, the goal is to rid ourselves of the self-indulgence in our lives. Self-indulgence, comfort, seeking for pleasure. These are the things, our attachments, they hold us back. And St. Teresa of Avila says that it's even impossible for us to pray genuinely if we are not also practicing mortification. We'll take a break here, just for this. Okay, so next, moving on to a different thing. We had prayer, right? We had freeing ourselves from attachment, indifference. Next, we have our regular examine. Regular examine and regular confession. Uh, As you know, really, our goal, the goal is really twofold in our lives. There is, of course, freedom from sin, but there also is the transformation. We would say the giving of life, the upswing, right? Getting rid of sin is kind of like the negative way, uh, being transformed the positive way. And there is, of course, no, no more practical way of getting rid of sin than going to confession. Uh, of course, there's really no other way. So it is eminently practical. But certainly the way that we go to confession can be really helpful. Of course, being totally honest, just completely bearing absolutely everything in our hearts. We need to, um, but in order to be completely honest with the Lord, we also need to be aware. We need to examine ourselves regularly so that we know how we're acting. Right? If it comes around to the time for confession, it's like, I don't even remember what I did five minutes ago. Like, how am I going to remember something I did two weeks ago, a month ago, three months ago? And so we need to be aware, examining ourselves on a more regular basis than just every month, even. Uh, and in confession, what do we do? We simply go... And we just name the things. You just name the things. Uh, And it's so helpful for us 
to just name the things, just simply. Uh, name it in both number and kind. This is what it means to give an integral confession, right? Like a complete, integral means complete. Naming all of our mortal sins. There is no reason to hide. The naming of our sins is the thing that's good for us. It's like uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Hiding themselves. God, of course, knew what had already occurred and was asking to bring them out. The question, I forget the, what the question that he asks is, but it's, uh, it was good for them to step out into the open and to say, yeah, this happened. And we can, if we do step out like that, we can hear him say, like he says in the gospel, your sins are forgiven. And of course, when it comes to frequency, frequency of confession, every time you commit mortal sin, go to confession. It's generally pretty quick, as you know. Otherwise, it is important to go regularly to confession. Okay, so another thing, prayer, indifference to, uh, to things, material, spiritual things, examine and confession now, uh, the opportunity for spiritual direction. Uh, what is spiritual direction is maybe a clearer thing to ask. Spiritual direction is basically a place where you talk about prayer. It's a place where you see where God is working in your life, what's going on in your prayer, where he's leading you in prayer, right? So again, another thing, not exactly to pick on psychology all the time, but it's not psych- uh, like a psychological meeting. Uh, it is talking about how God's working in your life and in your prayer. That is spiritual direction. When do we need spiritual direction? There are, I think, a few situations that can come up. This is not exhaustive. But uh, first, maybe when we're working through some issue. Um, These can be wounds, or these can be weaknesses. Uh, Difficult sins in our lives, maybe even could be to the level of addiction. Uh, And a director can assist you in bringing these things to Jesus in prayer and helping you to realize how the Lord is working in your heart uh, and especially working in your heart to bring healing. Uh, Second, I know that sometimes the fruit of your prayer, I know I've experienced this, the fruit of my prayer has been a little too much to handle by myself. It's been said that I guess this is more like a psychological thing, but your mind is, a dan- is like a dangerous neighborhood, <laughs> you know? Don't go in there alone. Um, <laughs> but um, but there, was, there have been times in my life when, uh, when I just really have felt, I don't know exactly how to say it, maybe jerked around a little bit. Uh, not exactly the best way to describe a relationship with God, but... If, if prayer is like a battle or like a fight, then sometimes it's a little too much to handle. And so you would need maybe somebody to talk to 
so that you could gain some understanding about what's going on. A third, I think it can be very important in vocational discernment. Uh, certainly, it was a game changer when my friends in college told me, after I had come back to the faith, that God had a plan for my life uh, and that he wanted me to discover that plan in my life. Um, and all I needed to do was to pray, grow closer to the Lord, and he would reveal that plan to me. Uh, and, of course, we know this is a little bit more complicated than just described, but this is where a spiritual director can assist. Um, usually a director has discerned themselves and assisted others to discern as well. So hopefully these have been some practical elements which have assisted you uh, in considering this the whole thing, right? I'd bring out the volumes again, but I've been doing too many reps today. So it is, it is all about, it is about living life to the full, living the complete life that Jesus Christ offers to us. He desires to bring transformation to our lives, sanctity, we would call it, complete transformation through a loving relationship with himself. And so let's pursue that fully. Let's desire him alone as the one who can fulfill all desires. And so we can close in a prayer, and then we can have the raffles. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Mother, we ask you to intercede for us. We ask you to bring us the grace that we need to be truly saints, to be truly transformed. We ask you especially to bring us into relationship with your son who you held in your womb, held in your arms, and then held under the cross. We ask you to always, always be our constant companion and our mother. And we ask this as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.